0: Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. In the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. Here's what the lawyers make me say. Brad and I are having personal discussions, and these are our personal opinions that are represented here. Uh, they don't represent the opinion of Techstars or the Foundry Group or any other group. Uh, our conversations are just for informational learning purposes, including any mentions of securities or funds. Certain of our own funds may own these securities, but please know we're not giving any legal, business, investment, or tax advice, and anything on the podcast is not intended to be used by any investor to make investment decisions. Hey, everyone. Time for another episode of Give First. Really excited to have my friend T.A. McCann on the show today. T.A. is a managing director over at Pioneer Square Labs in Seattle. Uh, He's got quite an amazing background. He's the founder and CEO of of many great companies, including uh, companies that were acquired by big companies like Google and BlackBerry. Uh, He's been involved in lots of great entrepreneurial companies. been an EIR at Polaris uh, and Vulcan Capital. Uh, active angel investor, got lots of great investments. Uh, Skilljar, for example, we have in common, but uh, VendorHawk Hawk and many others, and also does a little teaching at the University of Washington. Welcome to the uh, show, TA.
1: Oh, it's great to be here.
0: i uh, love to talk to you about Give First. I can say that across the network of tech stars, there are about 5,000 mentors who work in the accelerator programs. You're always way up there on people's Give First list. You've, you've traveled to a bunch of our accelerators done a bunch of mentoring, not just in Seattle. Uh, what drives you to do that?
1: Well, I feel, I feel, first of all, really privileged to be part of the Techstars network and, and so appreciative of the work that the whole group does, but specifically you. And you know, I've been very fortunate to uh, be involved with Brad Feld from very early on. He was an investor in GIST, one of my companies. It's the first time I'd ever been, been to Boulder, and, and you guys were getting started with Techstars about the same time. I think I started mentoring uh, in the Boulder program year two, and then we were fortunate enough to get a program here in Seattle uh, a couple of years later. And then as I had success on my own entrepreneurial background, um, I was fortunate enough to be involved with other programs in other different places, specifically around health and education, which were two areas of passion for me. So... I, I feel like it's a privilege for me to be able to be around young entrepreneurs, people who are getting started in their first companies, hopefully share a little bit of wisdom of what uh, has happened to me along the way. And Brad specifically has been so generous with his time for me individually as an entrepreneur, uh, as a board member, as a co-board member. And now uh, it's still involved with us here at PSL. I feel like it's, it's a little bit of uh, trying to get back for the Brad time as well.
0: That's amazing how that works, right? I mean, you've you've been such a huge mentor around TechStars and, you know, we had the chance to be involved as investors in Pioneer Square Lab and it was a no-brainer knowing, you know, Greg and you and others that are involved there. But tell tell everybody a little bit about PSL and what you're focused on there in Seattle.
1: Yeah, PSL has two main parts of our business. So we have a, a a studio, which many people would think of as an incubator where we really have a company to build other companies, and we also have a venture fund, an 80 million dollar venture fund that invests in companies that come through the studio, but also invest in software-based companies in the Pacific Northwest, where we're investing seed and series A checks. And PSL as a studio uh, is about 30 people. We have everything from designers, software developers, data scientists, go-to-market, operations, recruiting, kind of all the things you need to go start a company. And we do that uh, in service of specific entrepreneurs, CEOs, or founders who will come to us either with an idea of their own or their desire to want to run a company. And we work with them to actually spin those companies out. We've done 15 companies so far. All those companies that have attempted to come out and raise venture capital have been successful. And so far, so good. Three years into it, um, we're just starting to figure out how it all works.
0: So far, so good is an understatement. I saw a stat uh, that was in the media that uh, you know, meaningful amount of what's going on in Seattle now is, is going through you guys. So that's been really cool to watch.
1: Yes, it is. It is rewarding to see a significant percentage of all the Series A or seed funded companies in Seattle have come from PSL.
0: So true story. You, know, you, you and I have known each other, I don't know, seven, eight years now, um, sort of lots of different contexts. I mean, even around uh, the formal up global um, startup weekend activity, the Techstars mentorship, our involvement in Pioneer Square Labs, uh, lots of different vectors. And I think, you know, hopefully we've both been helpful to each other in lots of ways. But I, this is a true story. I was just reading a book, um, I don't know, three months ago Um, It was called The Proving Ground. And it was by uh, Bruce Necht, who's an author that wrote that, that I had met. He gave me a copy of the book and said, you should read this. And I'm sitting here reading this book. It's about the America's Cup race in Australia. And when suddenly into the story comes this character named T.A. McCann. And I I just stopped in my tracks and said, yeah, it can't be. I kept reading, you know, after I stared at the name for a minute and went on and read this like incredible story of life and, and death and struggle and drama on the ocean during one of the worst storms ever. And I keep reading these mentions of this guy named T.A. I just can't believe there are two people with this name. So I pull it up on LinkedIn and I see actually this is in your background. I never knew it, you know, seven years in uh, to knowing you. I had no idea until I read that story. All
1: true except for the America's Cup part. So that's that book is actually written about uh, the Sydney to Hobart race, uh, which you're right on the Australia part. Um, and one was the second most deadly sailing uh, event ever for sailboat racing um, and yeah I was very fortunate to be a part of that uh, that team and uh, make it through you know safe and
0: alive for for our team at least yeah this is me remembering the book Ron not not being that into sailing but uh, it was just an, an amazing story and I know you you know some injuries there and uh, people that you knew that, that didn't make it. So pretty, pretty wild story. But, you know, I reached out to Bruce because he's the one that handed me the book and I said, what do you, you know, what do you think I should ask TA? Um, he wanted to know actually, you know, how you got started, uh, in sailing and, and how you got so talented on the water and you know, why, why was that or who was important to you as a mentor in that? And do your sailing mentors still connect to anything that, that you do today in business?
1: Yeah, so I a uh, short you know short story of a long one, which is I grew up sailing and I'm from the Chicago area. I grew up sailing on Lake Michigan. I was fortunate enough to sort of be mentored by you know a couple of people who, had, who were running sailing teams there, and I got to be sort of a big fish in a small pond. Uh, but as a kid, I saw a video of uh, what at the time was called the Whitbread Round the World Race, which is a you know sailing race around the around the globe. And as a kid, I'd sort of put in my mind, like, I want to do that at some point in my life. So I go to college, I get out of college and, um, start thinking about that as a, as a future goal. And I wrote a letter to two people who I had met, which would effectively be like, if, if I was a young entrepreneur and I met you at a conference, I told you about my idea, and then three years later, you get an email from me saying, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Here's where I'd like to go can you provide me some advice on who I should know, what I should learn, what I should do next, if I want to achieve this goal?
0: Yep. I get plenty of those. Yep. You're right.
1: (laughs) So, so Gary Jobson was one of those and buddy Mel just was another one. And they were both kind enough to respond to me. They said, Oh yeah, we remember you. And actually I think they more remembered meeting my parents, but they remembered meeting me and said, we'd be quite happy to give you advice uh, about how to do this round the world race. In the meantime, would you be interested in trying out for the America's Cup? And I have, I knew what the America's Cup was. I had actually gone with my parents to see it many times as a kid uh, when it was still in Rhode Island. I'd graduated from college with a swimming scholarship, so I was very fit at the time. I was about in a year after year out of college. I said, sure, I'll try out for it. So I went and I did try out um, kind of a week-long uh, process. Didn't make the first cut. Uh, asked if I could have a second try out. They said, okay. So I went back for another week, tried out again, and still didn't kind of make the cut. And then one or two of the better guys uh, didn't choose that team. So they had a little slots. And so I was kind of like the last guy chosen for the team. We went on to win the America's Cup in 1992. And I do equate this a lot to startup land where you just have to get on the team. And you just have to ask for advice of somebody who might be able to direct you in one way, shape or form. And then, you know, I could tell lots of stories about how to be on that team, but it was very, very fortunate to be involved in a team effectively. Like when you're there at the IPO, I had a very, very small part of it. I learned a tremendous amount. There was a very, very strong team there. And yet, you know, when you're there for the IPO, all of a sudden, you know, you have a calling card now that you didn't before. And then, you know, I've, I went from the 92, 92, the 92 america's cup i did do the 93 94 around the world race did the 95 america's cup with dennis connor and lost in the finals and then larry ellison hired me and a few other guys from from stars and stripes to get him into sailboat racing and a few years later we end up in that race in uh, in the sydney hobart race uh, on larry's boat called
0: sayonara Incredible, and it's, and and if you haven't read the book, uh, go get Proving Ground. It's really great, and it's so cool that you're you're in it, and it's it's all real. It's really an amazing true story, which I love better than fiction. Um, you know, talking to Bruce, the the other thing that he really wanted to understand is, you know, in in his mind, what he learned about sailing and, and sort of writing this book was, you know, that any tiny little advantage. Uh, is really important in sailing uh, and that you know, really deciding what's the risk of doing something or what's the risk of not doing something is so important. We had Wendy Leon recently and she was talking a lot about the risk of not doing something. When you're coaching startups, how do you assess risk, reward in your coaching to them knowing that small things can make big differences over time?
1: Well, I'll, I'll play with the sailing analogy a little bit because it does answer your question. So in the America's Cup and the highest end of sailing, in similar ways to the highest end of Formula One or car racing, you have a very significant amount of money. Think of it like a Seed Round or a Series A or whatever. You have a hypothesis on different areas by which you can experiment that might create an advantage. And in the sailing category, that could be boat design, sail design, team design, tactics, electronics weather, et cetera, even boat construction. You hire the best people you can for each one of those subdisciplines. You build a big, gigantic Gantt chart of which experiments will take how much time, what do we expect to see, how might we test A versus B, and you start running those, those processes, those tests. And the difficulty at a management level is knowing how many different tests or how many swim lanes can I run, how many different experiments do I need to know in order to make a decision? Is this category going to be an area of innovation or is it just gonna be an also-ran? Or um, should I double the amount of investment in category X versus category Y? And in many ways that, that so I'll give you an example, in 1992, we had, an, we had a, a hypothesis that we could invent an entirely new type of sailcloth made of carbon fiber, which is a very brittle material, very light, very strong, and we went through many, many iterations where the first sale we would put up, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars 15000 worth of sale would literally like blow up in like five seconds. We're like, oh, that didn't work. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Ultimately, create this product called Cuban Fiber that was about 20% uh, stronger and significantly lighter than everybody else's. One small innovation that led to a significant advantage that, was some part of us winning that 1992 America's Cup. And in the startup mode, I think the advice I would do or pulling that story is really thinking about what are the areas where your individual team has a hypothesis for area of innovation? What are you gonna do the same way that everybody else does? And how might you design that experiment? And how can you delegate the ownership of said experiments to different people on the team, yet in a CEO founder kind of role, your job is to think about, do I have enough capital employed? applied to the two, three, four, eight areas of innovation that I might create create uh, advantage around, and then managing that through some realistic timeline and decision-making on which ones are gonna work, which ones are not gonna work, what's gonna kill, and which ones are we going to invest more in, which actually has some validity
0: to what we do at PSL as well. For sure. Hey, last sailing analogy, uh, I promise. Uh, but, but Bruce also, I thought this is a great question related to startups. You know, when you're a little bit behind, uh, your approach to risk is different. So let's say you have a competitor that's sort of outflanking you, you know, maybe in sailing, you're, you're going left, they're going right, and you're trying to figure out how to look for advantage. Have you found yourself encouraging people that you work with, CEOs, mentees, to, you know, react differently because competition's ahead or just stay the course and know that you can beat them?
1: Well, I mean, I built and you invested in a whole company called Rival IQ that is partially about this which is if you can understand your competitors well, in the case of Rival IQ, it's specifically around digital marketing. If you can understand your competitors well, your first choice is can I compete or not, right? Do I have the appropriate intellect or resources to compete? And if the answer is no, then you have to either find a way to create a different area where they're not, they're not spending time on it. So I think the, the answer for startups is first understand your competition well, though don't get overly focused on it because understanding is, is useful. And then in an area where you know that you are weak, you probably have to find an area of, of weakness for them. So if you use a sailing analogy, like the 1995 America's Cup, we were we were outspent three to one or so. The team that we were sailing against had boat speed on us. And so what we had to try and do, which ultimately we still failed and lost, but we had to be much, much more aggressive on tactics, and we were almost always trying to create an area where they would create a foul on us, at which point we may have a chance of winning because we were just slow enough that if we could get one foul on them, we might be able to make it even.
0: Crazy. Fascinating. I, I love I love the way you're thinking about that because <clears throat> I, I, I feel like Rival IQ, by the way, is doing pretty well now, right? They're starting to grow. and. People should check them out. But yeah, understanding the competition versus sort of overreacting to them, right? And being intellectually honest with whether or not I think I can beat them.
1: Well, I think the other the other part is this, this regards for, for both sailing and fund um, startups is really thinking about fundraising. So fundraising is a strategic advantage. If I can raise more capital than you, even if I spend it a slightly less well, I still may be able to create an advantage. Another way is if I get the best capital – the best investors for space A or space B, it's much less likely for you to be able to get those kinds of people. So when I think about, um, you know, fundraising is a strategic weapon that you can utilize in your, you know, in your startups. And therefore I highly encourage people to think when you're going into fundraising mode, who's the best possible investor that I need here? Do I understand the competitive landscape of who are the best investors? What have they already invested in and how can I fit into that sort of jigsaw puzzle? But that's the same as we would have done from a from a sailing background or sailing perspective is understand the competition, understand how you fit into that competition. And in a a startup,
0: one of those areas would be strategic fundraising. Awesome. I want to switch gears um, here, TA, and talk a little bit about what I what I spoke to your partner, Greg, about uh, at Pioneer Square Labs. Of course, I've known him for a long time as well. And uh, sort of try to tie it into a little bit of, of give first, give back, sort of mentorship. Seems like you guys really have that relationship between you. Uh, Greg talked a lot about how he's learned a lot about process orientation from you. And, you know, the process is really good when it, Uh, makes decision-making better and and aligns shareholders, but can be bad when it slows things down for no good reason or impairs creativity. He says, you guys fight that trade-off all the time at PSL. And even though you err more towards process, that you get the trade-offs and that he, Greg, has learned a lot from you on thinking about process and that maybe you've learned some from him on limiting process. So talk a little bit about your relationship with Greg and maybe uh, how that's, you know, give and take over the years.
1: Yeah, well, it's not. I've only been at PSL for a year, uh, so it's sort of still new for both of us. And um, you know, by background, I'm a mechanical engineer, so I like thinking about the way things work as much as what they do. And this is true about startups too. It's part of the reason I'm such a fan of TechStars or Startup Weekend or even all of us who are working on studios. Is there's a whole bunch of process oriented stuff, whether it be fundraising or product development or recruiting, et cetera. That, that can be generalized or certainly got to a place that is sort of best practice level that can be applied to many different kinds of companies. And so part of the reason I was excited about joining PSL was that they had had success, but in many ways, weren't quite sure why. So it's kind of like companies that have like early product market fit. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's going great. I don't know exactly why. And if you don't know exactly why, you can't sort of predict if it's going to continue in the future. So part of the reason I joined PSL and was excited about it is they, they had great success, a limited amount of process, and a, I'd say a limited amount of understanding or repeatability or certainly predictability uh, in that. So I kind of came in and I started trying to figure out for myself, like, how, how does this place work? What has worked well? What has not worked well? Why is this company being successful, this other company less successful? And I tried to both for myself and for PSL to, to start to document that. Write it down, draw a schematic, draw a flowchart, that type of a thing. And in addition to that is we were not very consistent at talking to new founders or new entrepreneurs or new potential CEOs about how the process worked. If you ask Greg on a Monday and TA on a Tuesday and a Mike on a Wednesday to describe PSL, what they do, what value they deliver to entrepreneurs, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what have we learned, we were not very consistent in that. So sometimes process drives consistency. And as we had more MDs, more people, more companies, we also had sort of forced into some level of can we communicate this consistently? And if we can communicate it consistently, can we start to have prediction on how likely a company is to be both successful, meaning can we get it out and can we get it funded and can it get good early market traction? But also areas where we're not so strong, both at the individual process level, like recruiting, where we were were weak before, we're getting much, much better now as well as how does recruiting fit into the broader success of an early stage company. As it relates to Greg specifically, he is so creative. He's an idea a minute kind of a person. And yet that idea a minute is, can be very distracting for a company. You might have kind of the, the, uh, shiny penny kind of CEO. Sometimes are like, Oh, we could do this. 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 But as you start to get scale in a company, even small scale, 5, 10, 15, 20 people, That's very jarring for a company because you can't sort of keep up with all of that. And you don't know when or how that idea should be factored in all the other things you want to do. So it's amazing to have creative people like Greg. And it's amazing, especially in our world here at PSL, to have lots and lots of ideas. And yet balancing that with a how do we take an idea? How do we move it into validation? How do we know how to move it out of validation into creation? How do we know when to get a CEO for that? How do we know when to spin it out and where and how to fund it, which are kind of the main parts of our process. And so we, we do have tension, but most companies have that tension too, where you have creativity, lots and lots of new ideas and productivity or structure by which to evaluate those ideas, you Know which ones to try, which ones to implore and, uh, and which ones to just put on back burner or what I would call the important
0: things I'm not doing yet list or attendee. Attendee, love it, and I got one of those idea minute guys in my world too. Same guy, Brad, my co-host here on the show. Um, you know, as you know, Brad is an idea minute guy too, and, and having a system for dealing with that is is great advice. I, I got to say, Greg told me we're running a little bit low on time. But Greg told me I would be an idiot if I did not ask you about the Rupert Murdoch story uh, <laughs> with his finger. I don't know if you can do that in a couple minutes, but I'll throw it out there. I don't know what it is. Well, we were
1: we were sailing on Cyanara, which was Larry, Larry Ellison's boat. We were in uh, in Australia to do the Sydney Hobart, uh, a different time. And Rupert was out sailing with us. Uh, we had finished the day of sailing. We were taking the main down, which is the one of the sails on the boat, right in front of the Sydney Opera House. And Rupert put his finger, well, he put his hand on on a, one of the lines or the ropes on the boat at the wrong time, at the wrong place. And literally, as the main chucked back and forth. His finger went up over a block and cut the end of his finger right off. Uh, so part of his fingers laying on the deck, he's like, holy shit, look at that. So me and another guy, Tony Ray, they were on the boat who are sort of the medics on the boat. Um, we immediately, you know, grabbed the severed finger, packed it in ice. Lucky for us and for Rupert that we are very close to shore, hailed the tender, uh, sent Rupert
0: off to the hospital. They sewed that finger right back on. And uh, he still has it to this day. Incredible. There it is, T.A. McCann, cool under pressure, making smart decisions, acting quickly, as always. Uh, A couple rapid fires for you, T.A. I I just give you a quick question. Give me a super quick answer. Uh, If you don't have one, that's totally fine. But favorite city that you think everybody in the world should visit? Outside Seattle would be Auckland. Any uh, favorite charity that you'd urge people to check out or get involved with in some way? Yeah, I'm on the board of Splash.org.
1: So we provide clean water to the poorest communities in the world. And it's a really cool company that is a nonprofit that functions very much like a for-profit public impact, uh, public benefit company. Incredibly cool. Splash.org.
0: Awesome. We'll check it out. Hopefully we'll get some gift first action going there. Uh, if uh, you could have dinner with anyone, dead, living, uh, who would it be? Uh, Elvis Costello. Oh, fun. (laughs) Why is that? Gotta ask.
1: I I've just been a huge fan. He's, he's so, he's so creative, smart in many, many different ways has been a musician in lots of different ways. And also, also an advocate. So life, life hero an interesting person and obviously very creative.
0: Finally, uh, we'll end with this. How can somebody listening today give back to you and maybe to PSL for the great advice they've heard here today?
1: Uh, I write a blog at TAMccann.com, and there's a lot of startup stuff on there. So give me feedback on the stuff that I've written. For the things that matter to you, share them. Um, And for things that you would hope that I would write about in the future, send me email
0: at TAM at helpshare.com. Awesome. And I know PSL is always looking for uh, great talent to get involved in the companies that you're creating. So if if you're a, a great CEO or exec looking for the next thing, is that helpful? They come to you and let you know they're interested in jumping into something new? Yeah. And we think about that as, as people who've been successful
1: already in the past, and about a third of our companies are multi-time functional CEOs. Two would be people who who perceive themselves to want to be a CEO and really have great what I'd call functional expertise. And then third is people who want to be a CEO who have very deep domain expertise. So you could be a CFO, you could be a VP of marketing, and you know that there's a product in you to be built that satisfies your audience. We've got great examples of all three of those kinds of people coming to us with an idea or a set of functional skills or both who want to do companies via the PSL Studio model. And we'd we'd love to be helpful in both starting a company with you. But even if it doesn't work out with PSL, we try to be helpful in the community with knowledge, expertise, advice, connections, because ultimately we want both
0: Seattle and, and entrepreneurs more largely to be successful. Awesome, T.A. I I want to say thank you, uh, not just for us, but on behalf of probably the thousands, literally, of of entrepreneurs that you've helped and given first to. I hope that's come back to you in powerful ways. I I know some of those stories are definitely the case, but thanks for all that energy you put into the startup community and and everything that you do. You're welcome. It's been my privilege. You can always learn more about what's going on here at Techstars by checking out techstars.com on the web or find us at Techstars on Twitter or your favorite social. And don't forget to give first.